How's everybody? Good, good. Um, okay, hey, so uh, I just got done uh, talking to Corey. Um, he had some shortness of breath and just some tightness in his chest, and, and, and uh, I think he's going to be okay, but he was out there talking with ambulance. So um, if you would, uh, I'm just going to say a quick prayer for him. And um, we give him a hard time a lot, and we tease him a lot, but uh, man, he's a good kid. Uh, he's a great kid and um, does a fantastic job here, and he works his butt off here. And, um, and this can be a very stressful profession sometimes, uh, especially with a lot of the issues that he has to deal with a lot. So um, we're just going to pray that he's going to be okay, and, uh, and we're going to believe that he's going to be okay. So if you would, um, we're going to pray real quick. Lord Jesus, God, pray that you keep your hand on Corey. Father, thank you so much for that young man. Uh, God, he's so talented. He's so gifted. He has such a heart and passion, Lord, for people in this church and people in his community. God, we just pray right now, believing that you're going to touch him and that he's going to be okay and, uh, and that the doctors can find out, you know, whatever may be going on and that he can take the steps and by your hand and by your gracious uh, just provision, God, that he'll be all right and, um, and he'll be back to work and back to doing what he loves to do and back to serving the community. God, we love you. We thank you, God. And uh, just keep your hand on our brother, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let me tell you guys, uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Um, I, just before we get into this, it's a shorter lesson today, so I have a little bit of liberty here at the beginning. Um, I come at you today, I, I just got a real heavy heart, um, just a real heavy heart. We had our, our leadership thing that we do every year here, and Friday the mayor came in, and I've, I've been friends with Mayor Shane for long time, even before he was mayor, and, and I joke around, I was like, I knew Shane before he was Shane, you know, and, uh, but he's a good man. Um, we are so fortunate in our city to have such a God-fearing, humble man as our mayor, and I don't know if you know this, uh, the mayoral office only makes $30,000 a year, I don't know if you knew that or not, it's a part-time job, 150,000 people, one of the fastest growing cities in the country, and it's a part-time gig, so he has a servant heart, he works hard, he's done a lot of great things for the city, and if you haven't been keeping up with it, um, there's a bunch of really smart people who are going to be meeting October 28th on our square. Uh, I say that facetiously, a, a group of white supremacists and a group of Antifa. And, um, and so generally when you get a, a high concentration of ignorant people in one place, uh, bad things tend to happen. And so he is extremely stressed out about it. And you could see it in his eyes. And we prayed with Mayor Shane and he loves our city and he just wants to keep our city safe. And um, so here's why I say all this. I say all this because it's not going to do you any good to go to the square and yell at a bunch of people who um, don't care to listen. That's why Jesus said, don't throw your pearls in front of swine. So it's not going to do you any good. Um, but you should pray for your mayor. You should pray for him because he's stressed and he has a lot on his plate. So you should pray for Mayor Shane McFarland, a good God-fearing man. You should pray for our police officers. You should pray for our sheriff's department. You should pray. Uh, they're all going to be on duty October 28th because, because of these people who none of them from Rutherford County are threatening to wreak havoc on our city on the 28th. So you should pray for all the people in our town that protect us, that look after us. You should pray for our local politicians. You should pray for our, our judges. You should pray for all the people in our city that help keep our city going. Um, you should pray for the churches of our town. You should pray for the nonprofits of our town. I know some of this rubs people the wrong way. You should pray for other faith groups in our town. Even if we don't agree with them, we don't want them to get hurt. Uh, we don't want bad things to happen to them. Guys, we should even be praying for Antifa and the white supremacists. We should pray that somehow by the grace of God, uh, the light of Christ is shown to them and that God will touch their hearts and turn them around. And, uh, and we need to make sure that as Christians, we don't return evil for evil. 
And we need to make sure that we have good attitudes about it and that we approach this battle with prayer, uh, not with violence and not with slander, because that's not the way Jesus does things. We'll actually see that today a little bit in this lesson. Guys, let me tell you this, and, and, and again, I just have a heavy heart. There is a real evil in the world today. There's a real evil. It's after your family, it's after your children, it's after society, it's after culture, it's after politics, it's after economies. There is a real legitimate evil. And we fight against this evil, not with flesh and blood, right? We fight against this evil through prayer. That's how we fight against this evil. And we fight against this evil with the love and, and the passion and the compassion that Christ has given us. That's how we fight against this evil. It is out there, okay? And I'll revisit this topic a little bit towards the end, all right? So if you haven't been with us, we're in the book of Acts. Now, if you don't know anything about the book of Acts, it's the sixth, uh, I'm sorry, fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts follows the Gospels. The Gospels are the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus grooming up a group of men and women to go out and to change the world around them, okay? Now, the book of Acts is simply that group of men and women outdoing what Jesus told them to do. And so we find in the book of Acts, we see the birth of the church in the first couple of chapters. We see God filling his followers with his spirit and empowering them. We see that people are being healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we also start to see that believers of Jesus are persecuted. They're persecuted culturally, they're persecuted politically. As we see in chapter five, they're even persecuted physically. They are beaten. But as we see at the end of chapter five, physical beatings did not deter the early Christians from doing what they were called to do. In fact, they saw it as a joy that they would be beaten for Jesus's name. So we asked ourselves last week, what deters us from being the followers of Jesus that we need to be? What distracts us? What divides us? What gets us off course? Now this week, we're gonna get a little deep, okay? And we're gonna ask ourselves, what do people see when they look at us? Not us collectively, not Christianity, you as an individual. What do your coworkers see? What does your spouse see? What do your children see? What do people that interact with you at different businesses or where you go work out or buy your groceries, what do they see when they look deep into you, right? What do they see? What do they see when they look deep into me? That's where we're gonna go, okay? We're in chapter six. You should have a handout. Is everything I'm gonna say in it? Guys, again, I'm just gonna, I'm just, gonna just my, my preface to today's lesson, I just got a lot on my heart. So if that comes out a little bit, it's not because I don't love you. Uh, actually, quite the opposite. It's because I love you in a, in a manner that I, that I can't even use words to describe. I love our city. I love our country. I love humans. I just love people. Um, and that's something that, 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 that God has given me, this thing in my heart where I just really, really love people. And I love them so much that I want to shake them sometimes because I see that they're doing things that are harmful to themselves and harmful to others. So if that comes out a little bit today, please, please don't sit back and say, man, Corey's really a jerk. No, no, no. I love you. I would... I don't want to say that, but I, I, I love you guys so much, okay? And so if some of that comes out today, just, just know that we've just got a lot on our plate right now, okay? And, um, and so I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to go back and I'll break this down. It's a short chapter, so I broke it up into more chunks because I can't let you guys off the hook and just, you know, getting out of here too early. So, um, but I'm going to pray and uh, we'll see what happens. God, we love you. Father, Lord, we pray right now for our city, God. We live in a wonderful city, a diverse city, 
um, a, a booming city, a flourishing city, a great city, God. Thank you, Lord, for our mayor. Lord, I pray that you physically protect Shane. I pray that you give him wisdom by your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that you lead him and direct him so he can lead and direct our city as a whole. We pray for all of our police officers. We pray for our sheriff's department. We pray for our city officials. We pray for our paramedics. We pray for our firefighters. We pray for all the people, God, that keep our town moving in the right direction, God. We pray for all the churches of our city. Father, we pray for the protection of other faith groups in our city. We pray for, God, even for the protection for the white supremacists and, and the anarchists who are gonna meet in our square. God, we pray, Father, that you protect them and keep them safe and that no one gets hurt. We pray for the local businesses around the square and we pray, God, that something good come out of this, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. Keep your hand on us today as we study your word and show us something, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, picking up in chapter six, I'm gonna read a little bit and I'll do my best to break it down. Here we go. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews, and their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. So here's the thing. Whenever there are more people things get more complex. That's just what happens, right? When a church is 200, it's pretty easy to manage. When it's 3,000, not so much. It becomes very, very complex. So at this time, Christianity was probably somewhere in the seven to 8,000 person range. The church was growing at rapid speeds, but in the growth, there was a group of individuals called the Hellenistic Jews who they felt like their people were not getting fair treatment that their widows were not getting the money and food that the other groups of Jews, their elderly, were getting, okay? So the Hellenists were a group of Jews, they were the minority, that spoke Greek. They even read a, a copy of the Old Testament that was Greek called the Septuagint. It was just a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And they were a little bit more liberal, if you will. They adopted Greek culture. It's funny. It, it, People haven't changed much, right? So they read a different translation of the Bible. They did things a little bit different, spoke a little bit, little bit differently, and there was division amongst them. Sound familiar, right? So anyways, so there was an accusation of discrimination. Now, the Hellenistic Jews, like I said, were the minority, and they thought that the Hebraic Jews, that would have been the more traditional, if we have to frame it like this, more conservative right-wing Jews were not treating them fairly. Now, this wasn't a racial problem, they were all Jews. They were of the same race. But it was a prejudice towards people that didn't dress exactly like them or watch the same kind of TV shows as them. And maybe they used a different translation of the word that they used. Even though they worshiped the same person, they differed on different minor issues, but that divided them, okay? So what they wanted to do in this time, if the Christians didn't take care of the elderly and the poor, no one else would. There was no Medicare, there was no welfare, there was no nonprofit organizations. And so when people couldn't help themselves, unless the Christians stepped up, no one would help them. So the complete responsibility of the social well-being of people around the city fell on the church. Now in our day and age, we have the government that helps and the government should help to a certain extent. We have nonprofits that help and they should help to a certain extent, but Christians in this room, 
When the day of judgment comes and we stand in front of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be governments or nonprofits that are going to be held accountable for the social well-being of the poor and the helpless. It will be you and I. It will be Christianity that will be held responsible for ministering to people in need. It will be us, okay? And so the original 12, really the original 11, but a guy named Matthias was voted in, but the original 12, they gathered all the believers together, the disciples together, outside of just the original 12, and they came up with a plan. They said, we need to choose some men who will be responsible for distributing the food and for distributing money to those in need. And what we see is this. They said the original 12, because they hung out with Jesus, right? So they're the most qualified to talk about Jesus. We're going to stick to prayer and preaching about Jesus and you guys distribute food and you be the ones that distribute benevolence. Now, ministry we see goes beyond just telling people about Jesus. Now, listen, if you're a Christian in this room, just because you may never stand on this little oval thing and teach, you're also a minister. Everyone who's been called by Christ is called to minister. And we need to be careful that we don't start making some people's roles really important and other people's roles, quote unquote, small. Let me tell you this about the church. Most people who don't come back to a church, it's not because, contrary to popular belief, what the pastor says or even the music. It's what happens in the foyer. It's what happens in the parking lot. It's when they have a bad experience with someone that should have said hello, but no one did right? And so whenever we think hospitality is just a small role, just making coffee is a small role, it is not. You are the first line, you're the first wave that people come in contact with before they ever get, I'm the last thing they see. And so they come through all these other people before they ever get to me. And all of you who serve in these ways that you may think it's a small deal, it is not a small deal. It is a huge deal and you are doing kingdom work. That's why we do it to the best of our abilities. And it goes beyond us just feeding the poor. Right now, our church, I don't know if you know this or not, we have about 75 volunteers at Patterson Park feeding in the neighborhood of 200 homeless people right now, right now as we're speaking. We do that every weekend. We've been doing it for eight years now. We've never missed a weekend. Now that's a big deal. That's important. But we see it's not just about feeding the poor. It was also about financial matters. And so we see that funds, according to the Bible, should be given to the church, and then the church is to take those funds and distribute those things back uh, uh, as much as they can back into the community for people who are in need. Now, and guys, this is a sore spot for me right now, but unfortunately right now in modern day Christianity, the majority of church's funds go to inflated salaries for rock star pastors, and they go to big old buildings. And so when non-believers step back and they see, you guys remember the Crystal Cathedral in Southern California? Those of you who are old enough to remember that? She had a building that was worth, I don't know, it was $100 million or something astronomically high. And it's right down the street from Skid Row. So you have non-believers saying, well, these people can't eat, but that's a $100 million building. Something doesn't add up here. And guys, you can call me a jerk all day long. I don't think it was God's intention for us to ever build these big monstrosity of buildings and for pastors to make quarter of a million dollars a year when there are starving children in their backyard. Maybe that's just me. So therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching 
ministry. So the 12 disciples asked the other believers, hey, give us your seven best men, the best guys you got, okay? And they're gonna handle all the benevolence and all of the kind of day-to-day operations of the ministry. Now, we don't need to look too much into the number seven. You guys ever met those people that take all these numbers from the Bible and they're like seven plus 10 plus three, Jesus is coming back Tuesday, right? Like they, they get a little weird with it, you know? You ever met those people? <laughs> You're laughing because it's true, right? And so the number seven, we don't need to look too much in it. I hate to deflate the balloon. Typical Jewish courts had seven people on it. So these were Jews. They're like, seven is good. This will work. Let's do that, right? So they had seven people on there. Now, the other thing we need to be careful not to look too much into, because we know that later on in the Bible, there are female deacons, right? We don't need to look too much into the fact that it was just men. There was a cultural confinement at this time. If they would have appointed women to do this at this point in Christianity, people would not have handled that leadership well. Later on, we know that there are female deacons that do this, but at this time, Jewish culture just wouldn't have stood for it. So they elected seven men, okay? Here's the other thing we have to be careful with. They were not concerned about hierarchy and they were not concerned about offices yet. Well, I wanna have the title of deacon. I wanna have the title of this. That's not what they were concerned about. Their concern was there are people that need help and we need to create positions so everyone gets help. And if we are not careful... We as Christians can care more about our title and our prestige than the people that we're actually supposed to be helping. If we are not careful, uh, well, call me this. Well, you can call you whatever you want, but if you're not serving people, you're really nothing, right? So we can give you a title, but if you're not doing these things, you're, you're really not amounting to much. And we also need to be careful with this. Whenever we start comparing parts of the body, this is the body of Christ, right? Well, the ear is more important than the eye or the toe is more important than the finger or whatever. We need all of the parts of the body to work together. And when all the parts of the body work together, we're efficient and we get things done, okay? And so we also learn that there's a standard for people to be Christian leaders, Now, in our day and age, we look for the most attractive or the most charismatic speaker, or we look for the most popular, or we look for the most talented, and that is not what they looked for. They said, we want men who have good reputations, they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they have wisdom. So if we are to advance the kingdom of God, we don't need to look for the coolest, we don't need to look for the most hip, we don't need to look for the most uh, attractive or most popular. We need to find people who have good ethics in their business. We need to find people who are honest, who display the fruit of the Spirit, joy, patience, gentleness, self-control, things like this, and people who have the supernatural gift of wisdom. Well, Corey, I don't know if I have that. Here's the great thing about that gift of the Spirit. It is the only gift of the Spirit that I'm aware of that if you pray for it, God says he will give it to you every single time and he will give it to you in abundance. So pray for wisdom and the Bible says you will receive wisdom. You will get that, okay? And so the proposal pleased all the Christians. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and hmm, I just, I can't say it. I've listened to it. I just cannot pronounce Parmenas. And Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large number of priests became obedient 
to the faith. So we see that they laid hands on him. Now, now some people get weird about laying on of hands. In the book of Acts, there are three different kinds of, of, of results that they got from laying hands on people. They would lay hands on people when they prayed for physical healing. They would put a hand on them and pray that God would heal them. They would lay hands on people in the book of Acts when people needed to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, a spirit-filled person would lay a hand on someone and pray for the Holy Spirit to, to, to fill this person up. And then they would also lay hands on people when they would commission them to go do work. Hey, listen, we have, we have chosen you men. We're going to pray for you, lay hands on you, and we're going to send you out to go do what you need to do. So it says that the church advanced. Guys, this is very, very important. The church kept moving along. Now, how did they move along? Why were they successful? Well, the first thing is, of course, that they taught the truth. The most important thing that the church needs to do is teach the gospel, that Jesus saves. He is the only pathway to heaven. Jesus is our answer. That is the fundamental thing that we need to do to succeed as the church. But it didn't stop there. The church also got involved in social issues. Now, let me pause there. They didn't get involved in political issues. Sometimes social issues become political, but politics wasn't the church's objective. Listen, and I know this, I know this really offends people when I say this. My goal as a pastor is not to, to, to get you to vote Republican or to get you to vote Democrat. That is not my job. My goal is to teach you the gospel and however your vote, it should line up with the truth of the gospel. That's my goal is to touch your heart and then hopefully you will go out and live a way that is in concordance with the Bible, right? Okay, that's my goal. Not to get you to go either way. But they did get involved in social issues. Not only did they get involved in social issues, because anyone can point out that there's a problem, the church came up with practical steps to address the problem. So we have, an, we have a problem with uh, high abortion rates in Middle Tennessee because a lot of the surrounding states, people will come to Middle Tennessee because, because you can get an abortion here quick and easy in Middle Tennessee. So that's the problem, right? And churches are like, this is a problem. Okay, that's fantastic. It's a problem. What are you going to do about it? So a certain number of churches in our town got behind the mobile ultrasound unit, and we provided a very gentle, Christ-like way to minister to young ladies who have unwanted pregnancies. We give them a free ultrasound, we pray with them, we talk with them, and then they have the choice to either keep that baby or terminate that baby. But if they've seen the baby and if they've seen love from us, crazy. You know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. If we would love people more, do you know people's hearts would change? So anyways... Because we show them love and we address the problem in a practical way, abortion goes down. Isn't that fascinating? Eight out of 10 times, if women will see the baby, they will not choose an abortion. The abortion rate will go down. So it's one thing to say there's a problem. It's another thing to get together your resources and in a Christ-like manner address the problem. That's what the church is called to do. The church also adapted. Guys, and again, I know this is a sore subject for some of you. But there is a church in Dalton, Georgia called Rockbridge Community Church, a fantastic church, about the same size as our church. They run about 3,000 people. Now, if you know anything about Dalton, Dalton is the carpet capital headquarters of the world. Most carpet comes from Dalton, Georgia. I don't know if this carpet came from Dalton, Georgia, but most carpet comes from Dalton, Georgia. Now, here's what's interesting about Dalton, Georgia. Once upon a time, Dalton, Georgia was about 98% white, white. 
And so in this, this, this church of about 3,000 people, over the years, as the carpet industry has gotten bigger in Dalton, more and more Hispanics have come in to Dalton. And they found out that about 60% of the labor force in Dalton does not speak English. They're Hispanic. They speak Spanish, right? And so instead, here, here it comes, guys. Instead of their church digging in their heels and saying, well, they better learn English or we're not going to deal with them. Instead of them doing that, they cared more about those people going to heaven than they cared about what language they spoke. So they started doing everything at their church bilingually. Everything you see at Rockbridge Church is in two languages, Spanish and English. They started hiring Spanish-speaking pastors, and they adapted to the culture around them, and now they baptize hundreds of Spanish people every single year in their community. Amen. Hey, listen, hold on, hold on a second. Some of us need to check our hearts right now. Because I know the first place some of you went is, well, they need to learn our language. We want them in heaven, guys. I care more about heaven than I care about the United States of America. I know that offends some of you. And if that's a problem with us, we have a deep-rooted issue in our hearts. I care more that people get saved, and we need to adapt to our culture. Do we sacrifice our theology? Do we sacrifice what the Bible teaches? Of course we don't. But I care more that God touches people's hearts then I care if they adapt to my culture. Then I care if they look like me and talk like me. So we need to be very, very cautious with our hearts sometimes as Christians. The last thing that the Christian church did at this time is they treated all people equally. Well, you Hellenists in their time, you don't speak like us, you don't look like us, you read a different translation of the Bible than us, but we care about you. We're gonna take some steps and we're gonna make sure that you're okay. We're gonna adapt, we're gonna treat you equally. We're gonna make sure that you're treated just like us because you're humans just like us. So the point is ministry. You know what? The one who rows the boat seldomly has time to rock it. Typically the ones that complain the most are the ones that are doing the least to make a change. That's typically the problem. And so the early Christians didn't have time to just sit and complain about everything. They were too busy changing the world. They were too busy flipping the world upside down. Does this mean that we shouldn't talk about problems? Does this mean that we shouldn't address inefficiencies in the church? Of course it doesn't. But if our hands are busy serving, our mouths don't have as much time to grumble and complain. Amen. So we see some unlikely converts. We start seeing that the priests of the temple start becoming Christians. Now, before we get too excited, that is not the rabbis of the church. This wasn't the highest level. This wasn't the Sanhedrin. This wasn't the people that had Jesus crucified. These were the poor, more uh, uh, kind of blue-collar workers in the temple. They would come clean the place. They would change out the sacrificial offerings. They would do all these different things. But they say somewhere in the neighborhood of 18,000 priests lived in Jerusalem, and a majority of them came over to the Christian faith. So they started coming and following Jesus Christ. So Stephen, remember, he was one of the ones chosen just to distribute food. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some from what is called Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Syrians, uh, um, or I'm sorry, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, some from Cilicia and Asia, came forward and disputed with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom in the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they persuaded some men to say, we heard them speaking blasphemous words against Moses 
and God. So this young man named Stephen, who was just appointed to distribute food and money, is now walking around, as Luke says, full of grace and power, performing great wonders and signs among the people. So he has stepped up, right? He is now like going around making this huge impact. And as he's making this huge impact, some of the Greek-speaking Jews became angry with him and they confronted him, okay? So here's what we see. This is very important. It wasn't just the ultra-conservatives that were attacking the Christians. Now it was the ultra-liberals who were also attacking the Christians. So we see as Christianity, as Christians, that we're going to get it from all sides. It's not just from one kind of person. We will get it from a, a different group of people that people will oppress us, right? So I find it ironic. The same group of people who are complaining that they weren't getting treated fairly were now treating people unfairly. In fact, one of the ones that would help their elderly, they're treating unfairly. So this time, though, the disagreement was theological. It wasn't a social thing. It was a theological thing. But as they tried to argue with Steve, because I believe Steve and I are going to be buddies in heaven, as, as, as they were arguing with Steve, his wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit in him effectively shut down their arguments. Now, listen, let me tell you guys something. If you don't have a degree from a seminary, which, I mean, I don't, if you don't have eloquent words all the time, if you don't know what to say, if we are full of the Holy Spirit, God will give us the words to say at the time he wants us to say them. If we will trust God, he will provide for us. He will show us what to say and what to do, okay? And so isn't it interesting, guys, that all of the opposition against Christians up to this point in the Bible is all done by people who should have known better all done by people who are scholars of the Old Testament who should have known that Jesus was coming. And isn't it interesting today in our day and age that the majority of the opposition that Christians get is from other Christians? <laughs> Nine out of 10 emails that we get from people that don't like what we do here or they complain about something is not from Muslims or Buddhists or atheists or agnostics. It's from other churches. It's from other Christians. I would say 95% of all the complaints we get are from people who say that they follow Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, and mind. That's the majority of the opposition we get. And we tear each other down in Christianity. Man, I heard they were a Methodist. <gasps> really? Right? We can't even hang out with people that follow the same God as we do because there are minor differences and we tear each other apart. We tear each other apart. Last part. For all you Methodists, I love the Methodist church, by the way, just throwing that out there. I got a buddy in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Uh, his name is Jacob Armstrong. He used to live here in Murfreesboro. Started a Methodist church nine years ago. They run about 2,500. And um, he's, he is, it's probably the fastest, uh, most healthy Methodist church in the United States right now. He's, he's killing it. You should look him up. Providence United Methodist Church. They stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes, so they came dragged Stephen off and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, this man does not stop speaking blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we heard him say that Jesus the Nazarene will destroy the temple and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all those who are sitting in the Sanhedrin, get this, looked at Stephen intently and saw that his face looked like that of an angel." So they stirred up the people. 
rumors and slander about Stephen had affected the majority of the community and false witnesses rose up and started saying lies about an innocent man. This is the first time since Jesus that an entire community rallied against an innocent individual, okay? It's the first time this has happened since Jesus. And so the Greek-speaking Jews accused Stephen of blasphemy. That is the same exact thing that the Hebraic Jews accused Jesus of, blasphemy. That's what got Jesus killed. And they, threat, they said that, that, that Stephen was threatening the temple and contradicting Jewish law. All the same things they said about Jesus. So they claimed that Stephen was teaching that Jesus was going to destroy the temple, that he was going to destroy uh, uh, all the laws that Moses had put into place. And when you go back and read the Bible of what Jesus said, he never said any of those things. He said the only temple he was going to destroy was his own body. And he never said he was going to abolish all of the Old Testament. He said he came to fulfill it, to consummate it, to be kind of like the, the cap on the Old Testament, if you will. And so this seems oddly familiar, right? As the slanderous and violent religious leaders looked at Stephen, and Stephen was calm and patient, it says that he looked like an angel. We're reminded of how Christ also responded to his accusers with confidence and with grace that he stood in front of them. He didn't throw things. He didn't spit at them. He didn't call them bad names. He stood there with confidence and grace. And so we now learn how we are to respond. Well, Corey, that woman at work just keeps talking bad about me. Man, pray about it. Pray for her. Pray that God works out a situation to where that is taken care of. Do not return evil for evil. That's not what we're called to do. We're to emulate Jesus and we're to emulate, spoiler alert, the first guy who ever died for Jesus' name, Stephen, that we are to emulate how they responded to false accusations and lies and hatred. So here's the thing. As they looked in Stephen's eyes, it says they looked intently, intently. That's important. They didn't just glance at him. They were looking at Stephen. They are staring into his soul. And what they saw in Stephen must have really bothered them. They didn't see hatred. They didn't see anger. They didn't see fear. They didn't see bitterness. They saw patience. They saw confidence. They saw security. They saw compassion. And they were troubled by that. This is not who we say he is. Look at him. And so if we're going to display that, guys, we better be full of the Holy Spirit. Because it is extremely difficult when people tell lies about you, when people slander and gossip, when people spit in your face. It is hard to act like Jesus. So we better be extremely full of Jesus extremely full. If we're going to produce joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control, the, the fruit of the Spirit, if we're going to do that, we better have that, that, that seed of the Holy Spirit not only planted in us, but watered and fostered and matured to where it fills us completely up. That's the only way we're going to be able to respond well when people come against us. So here comes all the questions that you guys probably hate at the end of my sermons. Listen, let me give you into a secret. I write down a bunch of things that I struggle with because I also want you to struggle with these things too. So <laughs> the first one is this. <laughs> I want us to be together. What do people see when they look at you? Be honest. 
When you're at work, what do they think about you? What would they say about you if you weren't in the room? How you treat other employees, how you treat people at Starbucks, how you treat people at the gym, how you treat your spouse, how you talk to your kids, the kind of jokes you tell. What do people think about you? What do people see when they look intently at your life? You know, I heard that Corey said he was a Christian, but man, he's really rude a lot. Man, Corey says he's a Christian, but he doesn't always treat people very kindly. What do they say when they look at you? What do they think about you? Do we have an accurate idea of how people view us? Do we? Well, how they think about me, that's their problem. This is just the way I am. God doesn't leave you the way you are. When God finds you, he changes us, and he changes us into his image. So if we have something about us that doesn't look like the way Jesus would do it, that's a problem. And we need to change that. We need to let the Holy Spirit get deeper into us and fill us up more so we start acting more like him. Hey, listen, in the face of hatred, how do you respond? You ever hear Christians say, well, so-and-so is doing this, and I'm going to address it. I'm going to put them in their place. Where do you find Jesus doing that? Where, where, where do we find the disciples doing that? I remember one time one guy said, well, I'm going to get them, and he cut a guy's ear off. I had a Christian one time tell me, well, Peter had a weapon, and he hurt somebody. And I'm like, and he was rebuked for it. And Jesus told him, no, those who live by the sword, Jesus says, also die by the sword. That's not how we do it. We don't return evil for evil. How do we respond to hatred? How do we respond to the white supremacist? How do we respond to the anarchist? How do we respond to those that hate our guts? What do we do? Here's the next one. Guys, do we even love or do we even care enough for people to engage that kind of darkness? Do we care that much? How long are we going to go, guys? How long are we going to take it? How long are we just going to neglect our kids? How long are we going to keep watching stuff that is awful for our families? How long are we going to have our head in the sands as Christians? and deny the fact that we have a racist issue in our country, a racist issue within the church. One of the most segregated places you will ever go is the church. When are we gonna, when are we gonna pull our heads out of the sand and say that we have prejudice in our heart? When are we gonna start talking about sex in church? Do you know 95% of all people lose their virginity before they're married? We're talking about homosexuality, right? Christians wanna focus on that. Well, let's focus on that. The biggest problem with sexual sin in the Christian church is not homosexuality. It's the fact that most of us lost our virginity before we got married. That's a much bigger issue. We don't wanna talk about that. We don't wanna get into what our kids listen to. Man, you guys should listen to some of the stuff your kids listen to. There's a guy named XXXTentacion. 19-year-old kid, his latest video, he has a five-year-old kid hanging another five-year-old kid that has 17 million views right now on YouTube. 17 million. His SoundCloud has 400 million listens. Talks about putting holes in people's parents. Went to jail for beating his pregnant girlfriend. That's who your kids are listening to. Not my kids, Corey. Well, 400 million kids are listening to it. I don't know whose kids they are. So when are we going to start talking about that stuff? When are we going to start addressing it? And to, when a bunch of people burn down our square, then we'll finally step back and say, we have to address some social issues. 
You know why we don't want to address those issues though, guys? Because we got them in our own hearts. We don't want to address the dark corners of society because we're not willing to address the dark corners within ourselves. Fathers come up to me all the time and they finally want to address their porn issue when they find out their 10-year-old son's looking at it too. Then we need to talk about porn. We don't want to talk about sex until you find out that your wife is about to leave you for another man. Then we want to talk about infidelity. How long, how long, how long is Christianity going to wait before we infiltrate the darkest corners? Corey, I get so sick of seeing all these homeless people in our town, 2,500 of them. Fantastic. If you're sick of it, let's do something about it. Go out there and serve some of them. Get to know some of their names. Corey, I can't believe all these Muslims walking around. I went to TJ Maxx the other day and there was a Muslim guy praying. Can you believe that? Why don't you ask him what his name is? Why don't you reach out and talk to him? I'm so sick of everyone pointing at a problem and thinking that it's everyone else's problem to deal with. And Jesus Christ has filled us with his Holy Spirit. He has given us access to the power to change the world. But we have forgotten, if we're honest in this room, we have forgotten how desperately we need Jesus Christ. There's a song by a British pop star. His name's Sam Smith. Not a Christian. I'll tell you he's not a Christian. Last week on Saturday Night Live, he played his new single. You know what it's called? Pray. You know what he says in the song? He says, I don't go to church. I don't read the Bible. But he says, maybe I'm going to pray. Now listen, some of you will say, he's not a Christian. I mean, what does that mean? I think some people in the world are starting to recognize that their ways are not working. Does Sam Smith have it yet? No, I don't think so. But he's asking some good questions. And a million people just on YouTube watched a song called Pray by a man who claims not to be a Christian on Saturday Night Live. And I'm stepping back and I'm saying, hmm, maybe something's going on. Maybe a bunch of people who have access to the Holy Spirit are going to take it for granted. And who knows, a guy named Sam Smith may get filled up with it and he may start flipping the world upside down. And we're going to be sitting back here judging him. All I'm saying, guys, is it is brutal out there. And it's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect you. Now, whenever the Bible says that we storm the gates of hell and that the, hates, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us, you guys know that gates don't move, right? That we are called to be on the offensive, not the defensive. That we are called to be proactive as believers, not reactive. We wait until a bunch of people show up on our square and they're like, oh, crud, we should pray with each other, right? Maybe finally some churches will get over themselves and maybe some pastors will have lunch and talk and maybe we'll talk about the health of our city eventually, Right? But it takes a white supremacist running over a bunch of people in Charlottesville for us to say, man, we have racial issues. Guys, I love you. I love you. But man, the Christian church is not running on all cylinders right now. We need to remember that we are utterly, desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. And if we are not full of the Holy Spirit of God, if we go out and try to conquer the darkness, And if our light bulb is not all the way up, 
It's going to fizzle out. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you need to take your kids out more. You need to get involved in your kids' lives. Dad, you need to take your daughters out on a date. Show them what it's like to have a real man take them out and treat them well. Wives, you need to respect your husbands. Husbands, you need to love your wives like Christ loves the church. You need to learn to speak kindly to each other. You need to pray for the Muslim. You need to pray for the Buddhist. You need to pray for the atheist. You need to pray for the white supremacists. You need to pray for the Black Lives Matter. You need to pray for the Antifa. You need to smile more. You need to ask Jesus Christ to fill you up completely with his Holy Spirit. You need to say it out loud to Jesus. We need to empty ourselves of our sin and then we need to ask with an audible voice, God, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Well, Corey, I'm not comfortable with that. Get comfortable with that. You need to be full of God's Spirit. And some of us need to humble ourselves and say, God, I cannot do this without you. Ironically, as sirens go by, right? But your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. And I don't mean this to scare you. I came out of a next class about two months ago, me and Patrick and Phil, sitting out there talking at 10 o'clock at night on a Monday. Car rolls up, guy gets out, pulls out a shotgun, starts shooting in a house across the street. That's not the first time that's happened, by the way. Went and checked on the guy, made sure he was okay. He was okay. It's a heroin house. And it hit me. Here we are, a 3,000-person church literally across the street from drug dealers. It's not even in my backyard. It's in my front yard. Father, have mercy on us, God. Lord, open up our eyes. Lord, it's painful to see the darkness, God, but we need to see it. We need to know that it's there. God, fill us up with your spirit. Lord, help us empty ourselves of of our sin. Lord, let us ask for forgiveness. And God, with genuine hearts, God, Lord, Lord, we ask, fill us up. Lord, let us love people. Let us respond well. Father, we pray for our city, we pray for our mayor, we pray for our pastors, pray for our nonprofits, we pray for our police and sheriffs. God, we pray for the hate-filled white supremacists. We pray for the hate-filled anarchists. We pray, God, that there is an awakening in our country. We pray, God, that there's an awakening in the world. And I pray, God, that we can be catalysts to people coming and knowing you. Protect our families, protect our marriages, protect us, God, we love you. We thank you, Father, and it's in your name that we pray, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Guys, there's people up here at the front to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. There's communion all the way around you if you want to help yourself. Thank you, guys.